0: Welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Anne Gordon here with my friend and your Dana Azband. Our daf of the day, Masaket Kidushin, Daf Lamed Tet, page thirty-nine. I want to stop and note that on page thirty-eight, right between Amad Aleph and Amud Bet, that that turning of the page is literally the middle of Shas of the seven and a half years of the daf yomi. We have passed the midway mark. Congratulations to all our co-learners. We're thrilled to be at this, like, momentous. Kind uh, of exciting.
1: Milestone. I mean, it's really exciting.
0: Yeah, it's you know, I remember your Dana at the beginning. We didn't know if we would make it through Brachot. We didn't know if we'd make it through Moed. And here we are, halfway through Shas. Even if we stop tomorrow, and I don't want to, and I'm not planning to, you could everybody who's at this point can say you made it halfway through, which I think is saying something. Okay. Daf Here we are, page 39. Um, towards the top of the daf, on Amr alf, it says, Amr le'Levi Levi Shmuel. So they are in the middle of talking about Orla, and the question of Orla as a prohibition outside of the land of Israel. So Levi says to Shmuel, he says, Aryoch. Now, Aryoch is Shmuel's nickname, and apparently, and I know this from footnotes, not from memory, we saw this back in Masachet Shabbat on Dafna and Gimel, page 53 where there's some discussion of Shmuel. And the, again, there they call him Arioch. It shows up also in Menachot, which we haven't gotten to, and in Chulin, which we haven't gotten to. And what it really means is a little bit unclear, right? Whether it's a matter of his expertise, it's an indication perhaps that he was like a lion or like a king or maybe like both, right? It's a nickname. and And I feel like we know that nicknames can come about in ways that don't always fully make sense and sometimes are truly representative of the person that they address. So in any case, the point is that if you ever see Aryoch without the name Shmuel there, you'll remember now that that's Shmuel. So he says to him, supply me, provide me with food, less and such food, since he says like, I'm not picking it up on my own, but if you do it, if you choose, then I will eat it. Now the concern seems to be this issue of Orla, Right, He doesn't want, he doesn't, he's, Levi is being shy of choosing his own food, lest he fall into the error of eating orla, the question being, outside of the land of Israel. Rav, uh, meaning the, the real issue seems to be that there shouldn't be an issue, but that's the concern. And I just want to uh, note, I, I don't know if we've said this yet, Yerdena, the psaq halacha nowadays, you know, the halachic determinant is that indeed we are careful about orla in chutzlar, as at least many, many people are. Obviously, not everybody. There's nothing that applies to everybody, right? So, Rev Avia and Rabbibar of Hanan, they would buy or provide the produce where the orla was unclear. They would do it for each other. And so then they wouldn't have to worry. Like, the, It's a lesser worry if the other person is the one providing it, right? Because the real issue is you can't eat orla if it's your own stuff. But if you're being given it by somebody else, you don't have to necessarily be like checking into their kashrut, so to speak. Um, you can assume that things are okay. So this was not a case of certain orla, right? It was a question of was it was it possible orla? And so they took the lenient route to each buy for the other. Or or to each ingest from what the other owned, is maybe the better way to put it. I'm in our And then, really, it says the sages of Pumpadita, but it calls them the charife, right? The sharp ones, right? These sharp sages of Pumpadita said, What are you talking about? They don't say it in that language, but Orla does not apply at all outside of the land of Israel. So you people are being machmer, you're being stringent to begin with, right? And, and it should not be necessary. Now, Shalchan Rav Yehuda, Rav Yochanan. So Rav Yehuda sends a question to Rav Yochanan about exactly this question about Orland outside of Eretz Yisrael, Rebbe Yochanan being in Eretz Yisrael. A rule of thumb, I think we've mentioned this in the past, that if you see Rav, as in Rav Yehuda, and you see Rebbe, as in Rebbe Yochanan, the Rebbes are in in Eretz Yisrael, and the Ravs are in Bavel. I don't know that that's 100% across the board, but as a rule of thumb, it's pretty good. They do travel, so that confuses matters, but for the most part. So Shalachle, Stom sveka. So what happens? Reb, so this is his question. Reb, who wants to know about Orla outside of the land of Israel? And Rabbi Yochanan sends back and says, don't publicize it. Meaning if something is uncertain, like, don't let it be known you know, that, that this is a concern. So rather uh, destroy it. Meaning produce, if you know that the food is Orla, destroy that. So you have different, it's a rule of, it's a a broad rule that has several different component parts, right? If it's uncertain, so don't publicize that you have this concern about the Orla. If it's certain that it's Orla, destroy it. And then, you know, when you come to the question of the people who are more lenient, right? Meaning, and they have produce and now you're not sure what to do, right? Because they've been more lenient to begin with. All you have to do is say, "Oh, it needs to be buried." I mean, you can't get benefits from this questionable st- uh, produce if it might be orla. So that seems to contradict those sharp sages of Pompadita, right? Where he, the the rule here is clearly to be quite circumspect about orla in chutzlarts in the diaspora. He's going to respond to that point directly, right? Anybody who says that there's no issue of orla in the diaspora. So anybody who says that will not have a child or a grandchild will be cast by lot. It's a verse from the book of Micha in Treasar in the latter prophets, right? Will cast the line by lot in the congregation of the Lord, meaning you're going to see your generations cut off. They're not going to be religious. They're not going to hold on to the Jewish tradition, which I find to be a very, very sharp statement, Um The And it raises questions for me about exactly why we would have a concern about Orla and Kutzlai's. Is it simply to maintain a tradition to make sure that people, like, if you're going to be serious about it, then we know that you're going to stick with the tradition? Or is it really, you know, a real halachic matter that should apply across? Now, the Gemara, of course, is going to go on. It's going to say, who are those sages in Pompatita? We get a whole list of who's there. And the Gemara goes on to like to delve in and question it and ask about it. I want to move on, however, because in the interest of time, we won't we won't get to the next part if I stay here. It's worth looking at, because, again, it's such a dramatic, like really dramatic, machloket. it's a really strong dispute, meaning yes, Orla in chutzlars or no Orla in Khuzars. Um, And the reason the the dispute is heated amongst these sages. Now, Dana. Uh, before I move to the next thing, do you want to comment on this? Uh,
1: no, I look, I think again, the other thing just to keep in mind is, again, we're only going to get the ha- Gemara on these halachot, you know, sort of interspersed because we don't have Gemara on, Mas- on the Masatot of Zerayim, of Seder Zerayim. So, I, you know, I would have, I, I, I just think it's hard to follow because the way you sort of have to pull out these little sections as they sort of fall within the Gemara in random places.
0: Right. I think that's an important point. I think it's also worthy of note that we're learning here, the Talmud Bavli, right? The Talmud Bavli kind of won the fight, the battle of history. And so that means that there is like a Babylonian perspective, a little bit represented here, even when they're quoting the rabbis from the East, meaning um, from, from the West, from the land of Israel, they're still it's still a Babylonian perspective. I wonder if, <coughs> excuse me, I wonder if the sages in Israel, in their own pages, right? I don't even mean the Yerushalmi. I just mean like, if we could go back in time and listen in, I wonder if they might have a more, a different kind of conversation about it. Um, I want to go on here. Um, more towards the bottom of Amad Aleph. It says, Ravchanan Rav Anan, Havushakli vaazli baorcha. So hanan Rav Anan. We're going on a walking together on a road, they were not in Israel, right? And they then see they see that a person is planting seeds together, meaning seeds that were not the same thing. So, this is a question of kilayim, these mixings of you know diverse kinds of things, and he plants them together. So, one says to the other, Let the master come and cut him off, I guess, right, to to shun him. The other one says, no, you don't understand the halacha. It says, literally, it's like blind, right? Like, you're not you're not clear on what these halachot are. So again, they saw a particular man, and he was planting wheat and barley, and he's planting it between the grapevines, which is exactly this kind of problem, right? If you go back and you learn the Mishnayot in in Seder's Ra'im, right? Where you've got peya, you've got all these different mitzvot, ba'ar, so those land-dependent mitzvot are discussed there at much greater length. And we have these prohibitions of doing things like planting wheat and barley in between the grapevines. So again, he says, you know, let the master, meaning God, really the, the, Master on high, come and shun him for doing this, for messing with kilaim, with the blending of, of kinds. So first of all, he says, no, these, again, not clear to you, meaning the, the one who says, let's mock or let God mock the person who is dealing with Kilaim. The second guy says, no, you don't understand. You don't know these halachot. You're not understanding them correctly. Don't we hold Lo low on Rabbi Don't we hold like Rabbi Yoshea? What did Rabbi Yoshua say? One who is in fact sowing, right, planting these different kinds of kilayim, he's not going to be um, punishable or liable by by the Torah unless he specifically sows wheat and barley and a uh, grape seed and likewise and it says in one b'ma pullet yad in one hand of like together like all the seeds are going to fall together in that one motion into the dirt right so it seems like you know there's a very narrow view of exactly what it takes to violate this prohibition specifically by reb yosha and the idea being that this guy who's put who looks like what he's doing is kilayim putting two seeds in one little hole is not sufficiently violating it for it to be a real problem. Um, okay. I'm going to stop here. There's more on the key line. We get review. if we've got to buy like there's Again, it, the, these machlokiot. I feel are kind of lively um, and, and we get the visual of them because they're actually planting, but I'm still going to stop because we still have a time factor.
1: Well, I look, I think we see also that like, even though, what makes Kilim particularly interesting, going back to my previous con- you know, comment, that this was a halakha, an agricultural halacha that was relevant in Babel. So even though there isn't the Gemara on Seder realm, there were a few areas of halacha that had to do with agricultural law, which applied outside of Eretz Israel, that were very important and still were put into practice. So that's why I also think the story is very significant. Right. All right, I'm going to move on now to the Mishnah that we have on Of um, You know, comes here to, again, we were given categories of mitzvot, and so now this Mishnah comes to sort of give us a general viewpoint about keeping mitzvot all together, because once it went through sort of like, these, you know, you're obligated in these, you're not obligated in this, the following. And so we have sort of a, philosophical Mishnah, which is not common at all. Usually Mishnah is not philosophical, right? Mishnah is practical, but here we have a Mishnah uh, with the exclusion of Perkei office, let's say, right? Anyone who performs one mitzvah has goodness, you know, given to him upon his life, his life is lengthened, and he inherits the land. And many commentators explain that maybe Haaretz could mean, when he says he inherits the land, it could mean, the word, you know, could also mean Olam Habab. And someone who doesn't do one mitzvah, doesn't have goodness given to him, his life is not lengthened, and he does not inherit the land or whether that means in the world to come. And again, this seems more like a Perkei Mishnah than it does, you know, what it has to do here in Kedushin. And so the Gemara actually begins with a contradiction by quoting a very famous Mishnah from Paya, again, one of those Masechot in Drem, Mishnah uh, Paragal Mishnah, which we say every morning in the beginning of our, our davening in the morning. right? These are things that a person can, you know, do in this world, but really, uh, you know, and we enjoy uh, their the, the, the profits in this world, right? But there's also, but the real reward comes in the world to come and what are they? Kibud respecting your parents. acts of loving kindness. hospitality with guests. shalom bringing peace between people. The tamlut Torah and and um, and and learning Torah is like all of that. Now, why is this a contradiction? Because this seems to say uh, that the only reward you get in this world is for doing these mitzvot. But not for doing all mitzvot, and our mission is saying any mitzvah that you do is going to. Anyone who does one mitzvah, right, in addition to his other merits that he has, and so therefore he sort of has more good merits than bad merits. And again, to read this during Aseret Yemei right, this period of time between Rosh Hashanah and Kippur during the 10 days of repentance, but we're trying to literally tip our scales, right? This is what he's talking about. It is like he, it's like someone who kept the whole Torah. Right? Can we learn from imprints that with those mitzvahs that are listed in the Mishnah and Peah, which we quoted here at the beginning of the Mara, that the reward for one of them, right? That you get rewarded for one of them, even if, let's say, you have more chataim, you have more sins. I'm a Rav Shmaya, Lomar Mach machrad. Right. So Shmaya is saying that the other the Mishnah is telling basically to tell us that if your sins and merits are of equal, right, one of these mitzvah will 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 put the scale in your favor. And that, that's what it's in Paya. Um then the Gemara goes on again and wants to ask another question, mitzvah right? Somebody performs what's one mitzvah. Uh, even, you know, uh, uh, you know, will have goodness in addition to his other, uh, you know, merits will have goodness given to him. So they're going to bring a brace again and try to say that maybe there's a contradiction uh, with that. And so they really try to go through and sort of deconstruct what exactly are we trying to say about the significance of performing one mitzvah? What's sort of the importance of doing one mitzvah? What's the reward for, uh, uh, for doing one mitzvah. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that's kind of like the struggle, like on the one hand, we want to say each mitzvah in itself is important, but on the other hand, the is sort of struggling with, but like, it needs to be cumulative. Uh, it needs to be cumulative also. Um, and, uh, and then finally, I just want to share one story, uh, that's here, uh, you know, which talks about the idea that you're supposed to, um, you know that uh you know they quote this brice later on uh, that says the following detanya rabbi Yaakov Omer, so rabbi Yaakov taught the following lamitzvah umitzvah bitzada right there's no mitzvah in the torah whose reward is set alongside of it which is not dependent on the resurrection of the dead what it means is is that the reward is given in the world to come. Normally, the Torah doesn't tell us what your reward in this world is. Except, There are two mitzvot, that of honoring your parents, and the, that appears in Devarim, chapter 5, verse 16, and the mitzvah of shiluach right, of sending away a, a, the the bird mother, right, the mother bird, if you want to take the eggs from its nest, and that's in Devarim chapter 22, verse 7. In both of those, it says that the reward of that is long life. (inaudible) So if someone's father says to him, (inaudible) Right, climb to the top of the building and get me chicks. (inaudible) And he climbs to the top of the building and sends the mother bird away and tooks the young. So in other words, he did both of these mitzvahs. He fulfilled aim and he also fulfilled Shiluaken. But he falls and he dies in the process. <speaking> in <Hebrew> right? what's the good in this that, that was given to <speaking in> him? <Hebrew> and where's the length of his days? This this son, presumably it's a young son die. Ella Lamani Tablach. So therefore when it says Limani Tablach, the Ulam Shakulo Tov what it means is that it will be good for your means in a world where everything is good. Right. Which would have to mean, you know, uh, uh, right. That your days will be long re- refers to a world that is entirely wrong. So what, what do we say that that is, that has to be, you know, that obviously has to be, uh, you know, uh, the that needs to be the world to come. Now I, I think what the Gemara here is doing with this, possible discussion. And then it's going to go on and say, like, maybe there's a reason why they were harmed. Maybe they were thinking about something else. You know, maybe the latter was rickety. Is that I think ultimately what the Gemara is trying to grapple with is that, like, at the end of the day, you know, we do see people who, like, do a lot of meets vote and they don't have good things happen to them in this world. And what does that exactly mean? And then finally, the last thing I just want to point out here is that that whole story, that scenario about the child who honors his father and mother, Anza Shilu uh, HaKain, we have our friend Acher appear here again, remember Alicia Ben Abruya, uh, that says, right, later on it says, Batre Right? That if you interpret, if, if Acher had in, in, interpreted that pasuk like Rabbi Yaakov uh, like Rabbi Yaakov, Rabbi Yaakov, uh uh, Barbatre, bar, right? Riakob, son of his daughter, he wouldn't have sinned. If he understood that the reward is really in the world to come, he wouldn't have sinned, right? But Amr and what was it that caused him to sin? Because he actually saw a case like this. So, this is a very famous part of sort of the legend around Acher is that Acher saw this and saw this child die and then decided that he could not believe because it went against what the Torah said. So therefore, the Torah couldn't possibly be true because somebody, you know, th- didn't have a long life, even though they fulfilled the mitzvah of, of at and Shilu HaKem. And then it gets on to the next that it was that he saw the tongue of, of Chutzpid. Again, a little bit of a nice here because uh, in a couple of days, we're going to read, we're recording, you know, this is the daft a few days before Yom Kippur. And in Yom Kippur, we're going to read the period of the Asar HaRuchei Malchut, right? The 10 martyrs. And one of the martyrs that mentions is actually Chutzpah HaMitturgeman. So this is one of the few descriptions of his death. It's, uh, you know, in There's only one other reference, and it also references his tongue being cut out. Um, but he is in that pia. So that's just a little bit of a sidebar. But I, again, I think the staff is grappling based on this Mishnah, that ultimately you could say that an individual mitzvah counts, but is that really how we witness it or view it or experience it in this world?
0: Meaning because we really experience the sum total.
1: Well, or that like we see people who do a lot of mitzvot and good things don't happen to them. So are we saying right. that one specific mitzvah is important? I think, it's, I, I think it's a bunch of things.
0: I was struck at your Dana by the fact that you t- you linked this part of the daf twice now to the season. And I think that that's, you know. Listen, the Daf is good any day of the year, but I think it makes it all the more powerful when we see these connections of tshuva and and repentance. I guess that's the same thing, um, you know, before our eyes in the Daf. At the same time that we're also paying attention to these themes, you know, in our day to day, kind of what's 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 happening now, what matters now, as we move closer to Yom Kippur. Well,
1: that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Robin and Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Tom at Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.